Weekend mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Joining us in the studio, Steve Oaken. Steve, how are you today? I'm good, Glenn. Glad to be back. Uh, it's great to see you. You've been traveling a lot all over the world, uh, dropping off your kid at college and all kinds of things happening in your world, huh? It, it, you know, it's that time of life where it's, <laughs> it's, it's certainly bittersweet, uh, yeah. where you're excited to see your son go up, but then you miss him when he's not at home every day. Yeah. Wow. That's, gonna, that's, a big, that's a big moment. So, well, good luck getting through it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> On the bright side, uh, you know, it's a little bit easier around the house, probably a little quieter, a little it's less a, laundry to do. It's a lot quieter. <laughs> All right, Steve, let's uh, let's get into our international news week in review. There's so much going on. And unfortunately, as we have often done in the past, we we need to lead with Hong Kong because it seems, you know, you hate to be cliche about it. It seems things have almost gone to another level again uh, yesterday and last night. Petrol bombs being thrown, the police using their water cannon again for the second time in 13 weeks, um, you know, attacking the government offices in uh, in Central, attacking a police station in Hong Kong. Wow, where do we go with this? <laughs> well, I mean that—that's a—that's uh, the right question to ask, and it's there is—we don't know where there is to go because the protests now are not about the extradition law anymore. Correct. That's where it started. Now it is about income inequality. It is about a lack of housing. It is about China and um, the role it is going to play in Hong Kong. It is about surveillance. It is about freedom of speech. It is about all of those things. China can't give on some of those and the protesters don't want to give on some of those. So where do we end up? We don't know. Yeah, the and, and the D word, democracy, keeps coming up, right? And, and whatever that means to whoever is in charge. And that's the other part of it. People don't really know who's in charge. Having said that, uh, nine or ten people, uh, kind of de facto leaders of of this and politicians have been arrested uh, since uh, since June the 9th, uh, including two notable ones who were arrested on Friday. Uh, so this is really kind of it's, – it's really ramping up in a way that does not look good. There doesn't seem to be uh, any understanding of where the compromise points are if there are compromise points. Right now, we're talking about trade negotiations. We say, you know, we look for off ramps to 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 get off this, you know, road to 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 confrontation, and we don't see the off ramps right now. That's mm. the that is the problem because, you know, when this system was set up, right, the the the, the treaty between the British and the Chinese date to 1984, um, and then it, when when the handback occurred in 97, from that point forward, it was 50 years, and then there was going to be, you know, the 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 handback. Well. The, it was always left a little bit amorphous, right? It was one, you know, one country, two systems, but how separate were those systems going to be? And everyone assumed within that 50 years, China was going to change. Yeah. China was going to become more open, more maybe open. not a multi-party doc- mm-hmm. democracy, but it right. would have been more open than it was, more respectful of, of civil liberties um, and individual rights. It hasn't changed. And so now it seems that the, the protesters and a lot, which is a lot of Hong Kong, it's not just a handful of people, are are saying, let's figure this out now. And Xi Jinping and his party doesn't seem to to be able to want to negotiate. So that is why we're at this this impasse. It was interesting. The, um, you know, the American Chamber of Commerce and others have come out over the, you know, over the weeks and said, hey, look, you know, we got to get a solution. And this is not this is not going well for businesses, for tourism, all of that. From the business perspective, uh, what are you hearing from your contacts in Hong Kong about their concerns and their or their even their strategy for a workaround. There, there is no. Right now, it is 
let's see what happens. Let's let's take a take a pause and let's figure out where this is going to go. We are not going to influence it as a business community, right? We're not going to really influence it uh, so much as is is foreign government. So it's how is it going to get worked out internally? And now if it goes one direction or another, then businesses can leave, governments can 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 change laws and do things. But right now it is really a, a wait and see approach. So you know conferences are getting postponed yep. and delayed uh, in some instances. But in others, businesses are very concerned because if they pull out, then that can make them look bad in Beijing, where they have a lot of interest, yeah. not just in Hong Kong. So businesses are, are really, you know, kind of in limbo taking, right now, right? They're in limbo. They don't want to offend their customers. They don't want to offend the Chinese government. They don't want to offend their employees. And so they, they're really in a, stuck between a rock and a hard place. And, you know, you look at Cafe and, and you, you take that as a lesson of what, what you don't want to have happen to you. They came out again uh, late, late last week. Uh, in the last few days, again, reminding their employees to not take part in any protests, uh, to not be implicated or involved in any way with the protest because of that uh, um, that, that rule that's come down from Beijing that anyone involved at Cathay would not be able to fly in or over China. So, you know, is that the way forward from the Chinese perspective, influence from behind the scenes like that? It, it, well, it depends on how much leverage they have. Now, Cathay is is – gets a lot of its revenue, a great deal of its revenue from the markets in China, you know, Hong Kong, uh, you know, China air routes. And so they have a lot more influence over a company like Cathay than they might over another company that only has marginal revenue mm. um, in China. So it is going to be business by business how much influence the Chinese can have or want to have. Right, right now, and certainly if you look at, you know, expand this into the U.S.-China trade war, China could take, you know, non-tariff measures against U.S. companies. Um, they have not done so. The Chinese want to keep those U.S. companies in. They want the foreign direct investment in. They want to have those products available to the Chinese consumers. So they haven't taken those actions yet. Um, and so I think Cathay is an outlier. That doesn't mean it's not going to well, change. Well, couldn't they, they could do it with other companies as well, right? I mean, any other company that's got business in Beijing if or in, on the mainland, right? If you if you if we see that you're people are involved that we can track back, uh, you know, we're going to stop doing business with you or curtail your business or your contracts. And, or- and they have a history of doing that, not just for businesses, but for countries. So mm. when South Korea had, you know, accepted the THAAD missiles, right, into, right. into South Korea, they there were a lot of boycotts, either government supported or where the government looked away against South Korean companies. When there was a dispute in the Philippines over over the South China Sea a few years back, there started to get to be boycotts of Philippine companies and Philippine products. So yes, there is a lot of nervousness that China can play this card. Mm. They haven't yet, apparently, other than against Cathay and maybe another against a couple other service firms where they're telling them, the accounting firms in particular, stay out of this. Yeah, we're told there are going to be some stress tests on the airport, uh, perhaps even today, a Sunday. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, let's move forward to another China story about China-U.S. $125 billion U.S. dollars worth of goods are set to uh, uh, start their tariffs uh, today, uh, Sunday. Uh, what, what impact is that going to have? Where does that take us in the U.S.-China trade war? Well, where again, we've always been at the same point in terms of President Trump thinking he has all the leverage because the Chinese economy cannot handle tariffs as well as the U.S. economy can. And President Xi thinking he has all the leverage because he's president for life. Donald Trump <laughs> is not president for life. These tariffs are going to start to hit the Chinese harder, but they're going to start to hit U.S. consumers. They're going to start to hit 
um, you know, the products, like diapers, right, and toys and electronic goods that, that consumers buy. When those consumers start paying more out of pocket, because despite what Donald Trump says, China's not paying these tariffs, right? right? These are a tax on U.S. consumers. If that starts to impact the election, then Donald Trump may may dial back. Mm-hmm. And so let's see what happens. When he got spooked by the markets getting hit when he announced the last round of tariffs, and then he might have made up these phone calls that came from China, uh, which didn't happen, uh, mm-hmm. as a way to try and calm the markets. That shows that Donald Trump is watching the markets with one eye and watching his reelection with the other eye. So it could change things when the consumers start to feel the pinch, and they're going to start to feel the pinch much more now than they did in the past. Yeah. All right. Uh I'm not sure how much more we can say about that right now other than, you know, tomorrow we'll see when the market's open what what happens. The uh, moving of the Indonesian capital from Jakarta, this to me was hit – of course hit the news this week uh, and I am, I am just – I have to say confused as to how this is actually going to – work and be a good thing. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. And, and what's interesting is, is and, you know, in the news segment you just, you just aired, you talked about um, Singapore putting in all of this infrastructure to battle climate change. Right. You know, Singapore's not going anywhere. Singapore can't go anywhere. Singapore has to <laughs> adapt to, to climate change, adapt to climate change here, and they're doing it. And they're also a, a wealth, much wealthier nation than Indonesia. This climate change is going to hit Jakarta. Jakarta is going to be unlivable. So they have to move. They don't have, they don't have a choice. I mean, Jakarta sinking, and part of it is is water, and part of it is is climate change, and they they've got to go to a different island now. Mm. Um, so they don't have a choice. They're giving up on Jakarta, basically, <laughs> yeah, or, or they have to give. I mean, they don't have a choice, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, natural climate, you know, the climate change one and. What this illustrates is that we're not taking into account as society the value of natural capital. Yeah. And when you don't take into account the, the, you know, if you think of it in business terms, natural capital is, is an off balance, uh, sheet asset, right? We use water, we use air, but we don't pay for it. We don't pay for it for as businesses, we don't pay for it as consumers. And now that, that, that use of that asset, we have to start paying for now. And this mm-hmm. is one illustration of it. And it's going to happen in other countries. Um, it may not be capitals moving. It might be cities being given up for. It might be, you know, taking away the shoreline and not having housing there anymore. So this is not just an Indonesia issue. But bringing, you know, bringing a new capital potentially to Borneo in, in one of the, you know, one of the nicer f- you know, rainforest that's left home to the orangutans and, and everything else. You know, they're talking about it's going to be a green, a green capital and all this. I, I just, it, I, I just don't understand how that makes sense to actually, as you rightly discuss about climate change and valuing natural resources, how you just go in and start destroying an area that's so pristine. Uh, no, I mean, that's exactly right. That, those are the choices that people are left with it. now. Yeah. And it's now that we're, you know, we, we, you know, we, 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 you know, collectively have, have damaged the environment. And now you've got to move capitals and then you're going to damage the environment more. But you're just, what do we always do? You know, we kick the can down the road. Yeah. We put the cost on our, our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren by doing all of these things. Again, uh, you know, kudos to Singapore for, for addressing those challenges here. Yeah. You know, raising, you know, you know, making things less flood prone. But that's a lot of money. It's very few governments have have the the resources and the 
the ability to do that. Yeah. And so let's see what Indonesia does. Steve Oaken, International News Week in Review. Thanks for uh, being with us today. My pleasure. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.